Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Do not use the show's content as the basis for any investment decisions. Instead, consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick Edelman is an investment advisor representative of Edelman Financial Services, a registered investment advisor which furnishes this program and also a registered principal of EF Legacy Securities, an affiliated broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Now... Here's Rick Edelman. And a very happy weekend to you. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. Isabel Barrow is with me in the studio today. Thrilled to be here, Rick. Glad you're with me, Isabel. We're going to be taking a lot of telephone calls on the program, the great interviews well, and a lot of fabulous financial information for you, starting off with the fact that here we are towards the end of June, six months into the year, and your investment returns stink. They are not looking so good. There's definitely been some consistency here with returns, though. We'll, we'll say that because it's all down, right? The Dow year-to-date is down about 0.1%, so that's not a huge amount. But since the all-time high, which was January 26th of this year, the Dow is down 7.2%. It's really amazing. Anybody who's been taking a look at their brokerage statements or their mutual fund statements or if you own exchange-traded funds – you're probably disappointed. I mean, we're six months into the year, and year to date, the the markets are flat. Since the high, it's down a lot, 7% on the stock market. And you're probably disappointed, especially after coming of last year when the returns are so good. Right. And 2016 were decent. Mm -hmm. uh, and here we are really flat. And it's not just stocks that haven't been doing well. It's not. Bonds are down, too. So we look at the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index which year-to-date is down about 2%. And since the all-time high, which was September 7th of 2017, it's down over 2%. So it's not just stocks. It's your bonds are down, too. And ironically, people who are upset or fearful about stocks would sell their stocks and run to the safe haven <laughs> right. of bonds. Right. And bonds are down 20 times more. Mm -hmm than the stocks today. are. That's so right. the Dow's down one-tenth of a percent. The bond market's down a whole 2%. Yeah. So there's really not been any safe place to hide. And it's not just U.S. stocks, U.S. bonds that are doing this badly. The foreign markets as well. The uh, uh, overseas markets are down, according to the EFI index, down over 4%. Five-year to 10-year U.S. corporates, down 3%. Five-year to 10-year treasuries, down 2%. Silver's down 3%. Gold, down 1.3%. I mean, there are some assets that, are, that have been rising this year. Oh, okay. That's good. What are they? Corn. <laughs> Corn is up 4%. Wheat is up 15%. Oil's up 12 So, I don't know. Did you begin the year saying to yourself, I want, I want my Wheaties? Right. Because it's up 15% so far this year. And I guess the message, of course, is the importance of two things. Number one, diversification. Because there's always something somewhere performing well. 
right. so being highly diversified. If you don't have commodities, natural resources in your portfolio, then your portfolio is missing out on the one asset class, the two asset classes that have been making a little bit of money this year. Right. So that's really important. And second is to maintain a really long-term time horizon because, after all, the fact that the stock market has been languishing and the bond market languishing for the past six months, well, so what? It's only six months. Six months. I mean, come on, look at the last five, ten years. It's since 2008. You know, right. we're nine years into the biggest, it's the, now the second longest running bull market in U.S. history. Mm-hmm. Excuse me if the last six months haven't been all that great. But the question that people are asking, I think rather legitimately is, is the softness in the stock market year to date evidence that we have weakness in the economy. In other words, might stocks fall further? Is there a recession looming? Do we need to be scared? That's really the fundamental question I think people need to be answering. And I believe the answer is no. You don't need to be worried unless maybe you own GE. Right. <laughs> yeah, if you own GE, you have some reason to be concerned. Big news this week, GE was removed from the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Now, this is a 126-year-old company, once the world's most valuable company. It was also the last original Dow member when the benchmark was formed in 1896, along with distilling and cattle feeding, national lead, Tennessee coal and iron, and U.S. rubber. So it's been the last man standing their business activities span from everything from aircraft engine manufacturing to appliances to healthcare equipment to NBC television network. GE was formed in 1892. It was the result of a merger of Edison General Electric Company and the Thomas Houston Company. Originally, their focus was, of course, electric lamps, generators, alternators, and motors. But in the 40s, GE became a, a major manufacturer of electric trains and was also a manufacturer of vacuum tubes for radios and x-ray machines and microwave systems. As we all know, they make home appliances like stoves or the hot point iron, washing machines, air conditioners, radios, televisions. Since the 1920s, GE has made superchargers for cars and airplanes. And the company today is one of the largest manufacturers of military and commercial jet aircraft engines, which was news to me. And one of the largest companies in the world with 313,000 employees and owns 67,000 patents. Vacuum tubes for right. radios? <laughs> I mean, that's the problem right. with GE. Yeah. I mean, when's the last time you went into Radio Shack to buy a vacuum tube? Yeah. You know, and that's the problem. GE lost last year almost $140 billion of market value. Its stock is down another 24% so far this year. And on the news that it was kicked out of the Dow this week, the stock has fallen to the lowest price since 2009. Mm. So while we aren't worried about the stock market overall, we need to recognize that individual stocks might be a whole nother story and why it's dangerous to own individual stocks in the biggest bull market, second longest ever in our nation's history over the past nine years. You have a company like GE, 126 years old, years old with 300,000 employees, kicked out of the Dow rather unceremoniously. They're being replaced, get this, by Walgreens. <laughs> Is that the company you would have guessed would replace GE? Well, according to the S&P Dow Jones, which is the creator of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, they said, quote, the U.S. economy has changed. Consumer, finance, healthcare, and technology companies are more prominent today, and the relative importance of industrial companies like GE is less. By adding Walgreens to the index, they say, 
It's more representative of the consumer and healthcare sectors of the U.S. economy. But having said that, Walgreens stock's not all that exciting either. Its stock was down both in 2016 and 2017. It's down another 11% so far this year. So it looks like they went from the frying pan to the fire (laughs) with that idea. But what does it really mean for the overall economy? Do we really need to be concerned or upset? In our view, absolutely not. The economy is doing fabulous. According to the Labor Department, more people are working than ever and they're making more money than ever. The Labor Department says wages were up in May while the unemployment rate went down. It's the lowest in almost five decades and projected to remain low through 2020, another two to three years. Unemployment claims fell in May to 1.7 million, the lowest number, ready for this, since 1973. The economy added jobs pretty much everywhere. Retail, healthcare, construction, professional and technical services, manufacturing and mining. Average hourly earnings of 82% of the private sector workforce rose nearly 3% over the last year. That's the biggest advance since 2009. And it's not just individual workers that are doing well. Reuters reports that U.S. corporations are making even more money than expected. 78% of the companies in the S&P 500 have reported earnings above analysts' expectations. First quarter earnings increased 27% compared to a year ago. That's huge. Consumer sentiment remains near an all-time high, according to the Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey. And the Commerce Department says consumer spending and retail sales rose in May to the highest level in six months, exceeding forecasts and bolstering expectations for another acceleration in economic growth this quarter. Overall sales grew twice as much as expected by economists. So what's the bottom line? Total household wealth. Net worth of households across the country now exceeds $100 trillion. This is up almost 50% from 2008. Home values are rising more rapidly than mortgage debt. Now put it all together, more money in people's pockets because of incomes and value of assets. Between the value of their homes, the value of their stocks, more money means more spending. More spending means more corporate revenue. More revenue means more profit. And more profit means higher stock prices. Yay! So the fact that we are at the moment seeing a relatively flat stock market year to date and a flat bond market year to date doesn't mean that it's going to stay this way. We can fully anticipate a resumation. Is that a word? Resumation. Sounds good. Resuming, resumation, (laughs) resumption. Is that the word? Resumption. We can expect a resumption. Thank you, Webster's, uh, of stock prices continuing their upward rise as we've been enjoying pretty much uh, nonstop since 2009. Now, when I say the stock prices are going to continue their upward rise like we've been pretty much uh, enjoying nonstop since 2009, I'm not saying it in the context of, hey, the sun's going to rise tomorrow because, as my compliance department would hasten for me to add, past performance does not guarantee future results, which is certainly true about the stock market, even if it isn't true about the sun. So... As you look at your investment accounts, as you look at your brokerage statements, as you look at your portfolio returns, stop looking. It's just going to upset you. It's going to cause you to wonder if you should rethink your long-term strategy. Don't let current events, recent news interfere with your long-term goals. It's as simple as that. 
When we come back on the program, we're going to talk with you about a couple of other statistics that are good news for your investments, especially your retirement plan at work. If you're in a 401k, not if you're in a 403b. Stay with us to find out why here on The Rick Edelman Show. Triple H, Plan Rick, online at ricedelman.com. More with the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Truth About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. We were here with Isabel Barrow and taking your telephone calls at Triple H Plan Rick on the program today. We've got some further good news about the economic environment, this one affecting your pocketbook with your investments. The Investment Company Institute says that the cost of investing in mutual funds through 401k plans has hit an all-time low. The cost has dropped to an average of 0.45% per year. That's... 45 cents for every $100 you're investing. Which is making it really inexpensive to be that long-term investor and to keep your money invested so that you can maximize your efficiency. And this is almost half the cost of 2000 It yeah. was 0.77% back in 2000 So mutual fund costs are dropping, and employers are increasingly using low-cost mutual funds in the 401k plans. There are still a lot of expensive mutual funds out there. It's just that most company employer plans aren't using them, which is right. really good news for you if you're in a 401k at work. And it means two things. Number one, you need to make sure, in fact, your employer is using low-cost mutual funds and exchange-traded funds in your retirement account at work, because there's no excuse not to. Right. That's the first message. Right. And this this came about because of pushback from employees against their employers who were only offering these really high loaded funds within or high expense ratio funds within their 401k plan. So employees stood up and said, no, we don't want this anymore. And we've reported over the past several years of lots of lawsuits by employees, current and former, against their employers for exactly that reason and claiming that their employers violated their fiduciary duty to deliver the lowest cost possible investments to their employees. So good news is the word's getting out employers across the country really doing a good job there. And if your employer isn't, you should let us know because we can give you some advice on how you can help improve the situation where you work. This is great news in the 401k world. Not so great news in the 403b world. The difference between the two being? Uh, 403B is offered for not-for-profits and educators. Hospitals, Hospitals. And, and the like. And right. many of these plans are still offered by insurance companies, right. not mutual fund companies. Absolutely. And insurance companies are typically offering annuity products. See it all the time, Rick. And annuity products are generally not charging 0.45% per no year. No way, no way. And in lots of cases, they're going to charge you just to be in it and then sell it at some point if you leave the employer. You've got to pay a back-end fee. So these fees, they, they often have sales charges either to buy it and or to sell it. Their annual operating expenses are often, instead of four-tenths of a percent, they're often 2%, 3%, sometimes even more. And many workers, many school teachers, many hospital employees have no option but to choose these expensive annuity products. It's kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. So if you are working 
for a nonprofit or a school system or hospital and you have a 403B plan, recognize that a great many of these plans do offer both annuity products and mutual fund products. The salesman representing those plans often make higher commissions to sell the annuity products over the mutual fund products. They may not be touting the availability of the mutual funds as aggressively as they tout the annuity products because of conflicts of interest, their desire to earn big commissions. So you need to explore in greater detail, greater depth, what exactly is offered by your employer. And if you have any doubts, if you're not sure how your plan works, call us because we do this all the time with our clients. We'll give you advice on how to take best advantage of the options available to you in your workplace retirement plan. Just call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. Odds are pretty good that we're familiar with your plan or the organization that is sponsoring it, and we'll be able to give you some effective advice. And there's another aspect about retirement plans and particularly investment management strategy that a lot of folks are unfamiliar with, Research Affiliates just came out with a study looking backward over the past 25 years of investment performance at more than 4,000 mutual funds. They took a look at the Morningstar database over two time periods, the last 25 years and the last 10 years. And they're trying to figure out what was the biggest drag on investment returns. And it's not fees. We've been talking a lot about fees here because obviously fees matter. The more you pay in fees, the less you keep in your pocket. That is kind of obvious. But it's not fees that are the biggest drag on investment returns. It's taxes. And I think that's surprising for most people. But what is the best solution, says the study? ETFs and passive index type products. They have efficiencies that lower a fund's tax burden. And, and what we're not talking about here are the income taxes that you pay when you sell your investment. I mean, because that's are capital gains taxes. And if you're in a taxable account, you're going to pay taxes if you sell a mutual fund or an, or an exchange-traded fund. That's just the way it works. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is turnover. Right. Meaning you own a mutual fund. Your mutual fund owns a whole bunch of stocks. Maybe it owns dozens. Maybe it owns hundreds. Maybe it even owns thousands. Does your fund manager hold on to those stocks for years at a time? Or does your fund manager flip the securities during the year on an often or frequent basis? It can have a huge impact on your overall return because if you, let's say, lose money in a fund, you may still have a capital gain distribution coming to you at the end of the year that you have to pay taxes on that you didn't even know was going to happen because it wasn't like you bought your fund and sold it at a higher price point. And so you say, oh, well, I know I sold it. I have a capital gain. No, this is just distributed to you because the fund manager sold stuff that you had no impact on. Exactly. In other words, if the fund sells a stock in its portfolio and replaces it with a different stock, The stock that it sold, it might have sold for a profit. It might have produced a capital gain, and it will release a capital gain distribution before the end of the year, forcing you to pay taxes even though you did nothing. Mm -hmm. You know what I've never seen, Rick? Capital loss distribution. No, (laughs) no, they never do that. No, that doesn't get passed. (laughs) They never do that. Here's what the analysis shows by research affiliates. If you have a mutual fund with a 10% turnover rate, Over a 20-year period, it'll reduce the value of your investment by 18%, just a 10% turnover rate. And there are mutual funds that have 
30% turnover, 50%, 80% turnover. Oh, yeah. I've seen over 100 for sure. So in other words, when you say, how can I have more than 100% turnover rate? Well, that means it's selling its entire portfolio at some point during the year. Right. There are some mutual funds that every six months they're selling mm-hmm. everything in the fund and replacing with a whole bunch of stuff. You might consider yourself a long-term investor, but if your fund is constantly <laughs> doing trading, you own a short-term investment right. fund even though you're a long-term investor. Mm-hmm. So what we have to recognize is that there are lots of ETFs that don't do this. According to the study, more than half of ETFs have made no capital gain distributions over the 25-year period. Only 5% of mutual funds did that. So you need to look really carefully at the investments you own. We do because high turnover reduces your long-term profits. Mm. So pay attention not just to fees, but to your turnover and your taxes in your investing. Don't know how to do it? Let us help you. Call us at 888-PLAN-RIC. That's 888-752-6742. If you don't know if you own high turnover funds, we'll tell you. Just give us a call. If you want, go to our website at rickedelman.com, click that red button, schedule a call. This way we'll avoid phone tag for you. You tell us when you want us to call you. We'll make it simple and easy. 888-PLAN-RIC, online at rickedelman.com. Stay with us. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. For a wealth of information on personal finance, go to the education page at rickedelman.com. We're taking telephone calls here on the Rick Edelman Show, heading out to Los Angeles, California. Nathan, welcome to the show. How you doing? Hi, Rick. I'm well. Thanks. Uh, thanks for taking my call. You're very welcome. Isabel Barrow with us in the studio. How can we help? Um, I'd like to get your opinion about investing in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. You know, we were hearing an awful lot about that last year right. when uh, Bitcoin was rising 20,000%. <laughs> right. uh, and um, it has now that Bitcoin has been down about 50% so far this year, not so many people are asking. Although uh, Nathan's right, you want to talk about buying an asset while it's low, not while it's high. So uh, Nathan's either uh, slow to the party or smarter for having delayed uh, the question. So. Uh, There's no question that cryptocurrencies are a big deal, bigger deal than ever. Uh, We're seeing more and more legitimacy about cryptocurrencies. Uh, There's a new credit card called BlockRise 
that instead of giving you cash back or travel rewards, it gives out cryptocurrency cool. as a reward. Uh, Realtor.com now says it has dozens of homes for sale where the sellers are willing to accept Bitcoin in payment. The transaction can be concluded in minutes, many fees eliminated entirely, no transaction expenses, demonstrating the a couple of the benefits of engaging in uh, using virtual currencies because they're free to use. In fact, there are two condos on the Upper East Side of New York recently sold via Bitcoin. So um, there's no question that uh, digital currencies, cryptocurrencies, virtual currencies, whatever you want to refer to them, uh, many people are increasingly arguing they're here to stay. <laughs> they are. And according to Student Loan Report, which is a website for student loan information, more than 20% of college students say that they've used their student loan money to buy cryptocurrencies. That's a little scary. Which is, yeah, that's a little frightening. It's uh, scary that they're using their student loan money for anything other than <laughs> tuition. Right. But using it to purchase a security right. or an asset, Bitcoin's not a security. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, that's a little scary that they're using the money to speculate, I would say, in cryptocurrencies. Yeah, and having nothing to do with their actual student loan uh, money, what it's meant for, which is for their education. And on top of that, now think about the taxes that are going to be due on the cryptocurrency potentially, because in 2014, the IRS ruled that they are property. So every time you sell or transfer a digital coin, you're creating a taxable event. And last year, as we talked about, Bitcoin rose more than 1,500%. Many moved then to another coin, which is, of course, creating an issue with capital yeah, gains. Yeah, you know, as we mentioned, Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum and, and, you know, there are now over a thousand different uh, cryptocurrencies. These are not securities. The SEC has made this very clear. The IRS has made it very clear. The CFTC has made it very clear. They are property. So think about it like baseball cards. If you buy a baseball card and later sell it for a profit, you have to pay taxes on that profit. If you sell it for a loss, you can declare the loss, just like you can any other investment asset or any other property. In fact, many people, including me, are really no longer considering Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies to, in fact, be currencies. That's how they were envisioned. That's how they were created as an alternative for using dollars or euros or pounds sterling. They were designed to be a medium of exchange as you purchase goods and services. But many of us in the crypto community now believe that these are crypto assets, not cryptocurrencies. The fact that the IRS considers them property further supports the notion that they are assets, not currencies, because there's a fundamental difference. When you trade dollars, you don't have to pay taxes on that transaction. But when you trade Bitcoin, you do. What I mean by that is if you take $20 and turn it into two tens, or you turn a dollar into a euro, there's no tax on that. But if you convert your Bitcoin to Ethereum, you do have a tax liability. And because of the price fluctuation that is so extreme, uh, looking at 1500 to 2000% fluctuation in value that occurred last year, I mean, just imagine that last year you invested $10,000 into Bitcoin. And then by the end of the year, it rose 1500% to $150,000. If you then sold it, you triggered a short-term capital gains tax, which could cost you a third right. of your profit. And now, this year, the cryptocurrency is down about 50 or 60%, which means your account is only worth a fraction of what it used to be. Most of your profit has gone to taxes. Ah. So you have to recognize that if you're going to engage in 
cryptocurrency, crypto asset activity, you need to be careful. Uh, first, let's talk a little bit about what the government is saying. The Office of Government Ethics, this is a branch of the federal government in the United States, they just released a report this week saying that cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin are real enough that federal employees must now report their ownership on their federal disclosure statements and they must abide by conflict of interest laws. Federal employees who are responsible for spending government money have to file annual financial disclosure forms and they have to list their holdings of Bitcoin or any other virtual currency if they have more than $1,000 worth of it or if the income that they earn from it exceeds more than $200 in a given reporting period. In other words, the federal government, the Office of Government Ethics now says Bitcoin is real and it and people are making decisions in the course of their uh, employment with the government and they could be suffering conflicts of interest. So it therefore must be disclosed just like they have to disclose the ownership of any other assets, stocks, bonds, real estate and so on. So this is quite real. Yeah, and it's not going away. Uh, recently, the head of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, which is uh, Great Britain's version of our Federal Reserve, recently spoke out about Bitcoin and warned authorities not to, quote, stifle innovations which could improve financial stability, support more innovative, efficient, and reliable payment services, as well as have wider applications, end quote. So he prefers to refer to Bitcoin as crypto asset instead of cryptocurrency. On Again, quote, on the upside, some of the underlying technologies are exciting. On the downside, he said he's worried about investor protection, money laundering, terrorism financing, and tax evasion, which are, of course, the problems related to this. That's exactly right. And so we're seeing the double-edged sword here, um, uh, Nathan, to help you, you know, give you an answer to the question, should you invest mm-hmm. in Bitcoin? Uh, Bitcoin, because it's not a security, is not governed by the SEC or state securities regulators. Uh, and therefore, it's a little bit of a Wild West environment, as evidenced by the fact that Bitcoin jumped 1,500% last year, uh, which is a crazy rise, and then followed by a 50% decline so far this year. So it's a little bit of the Wild West. We have lots of players not only in the United States, but also around the world. Bitcoin is anonymous. All cryptocurrencies are. You don't really know who you're trading with. You don't know what level of government protections that there might be. Reporting is entirely on your own, which raises complexity with your tax return. So the bottom line is this. I am personally of the belief that crypto assets are, in fact, an emerging asset class. Are they an established one yet? No, not by any sense. But I do believe that they are here to stay. I believe they're going to grow in prominence and importance. I believe they are, as I said, an emerging asset class. And therefore, if you do want to invest in crypto assets, which I have done, including Bitcoin and Ethereum, you need to recognize that you can lose 100% of what you invest. Therefore, you should invest no more than... 4% of your assets, and that's a very big number for most people. For most people, 1% or 2% is more appropriate, and probably even for the vast majority at this stage, zero is an appropriate percentage. We are not at Edelman Financial actively recommending or encouraging clients to purchase Bitcoin or other crypto assets because it remains the Wild West out there. Um, But uh, there are many who are overcoming the fears and concerns who are recognizing that 
this might be an opportunity to invest while it is still unproven, untested, uncertain. So in the bottom line, I guess the shortest answer I can give you, treat it like a lottery ticket. You don't need to buy a lot of it and recognize that most of your lottery tickets will become worthless. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, Nathan. I wish you the best. Stay in tune to this program as Bitcoin and other crypto assets and cryptocurrencies uh, evolve. We'll give you more and more information. I'd encourage you to uh, learn more on your own. There are a lot of places on the Internet where you can study crypto assets and cryptocurrencies. And I would encourage you to stay focused on this because, as I said, I personally believe that they're here to stay and will grow in prominence. I do, too. I think it's a pretty exciting uh, space. I'm definitely going to keep my eye on it. There you go. Nathan, thanks so much for the phone call. You're listening to The Truth About Money with Rick Edelman and Isabel Barros. Stay with us. More with the publisher of the newsletter. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Inside Personal Finance, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. We're taking telephone calls here on the Rick Edelman Show. Isabel Barrow's with me in the studio. We're heading off to Belfast, New York. Lorraine, you're on the air. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Doing fabulous. How can we help you? Okay. Um, I'm, I'm 57 years old, and I'm a retired teacher, and I have a 403B with Fidelity. And I, and I just recently opened up my portfolio, and I was looking at some different funds because I've been thinking about switching some of my overseas funds. And so doing some research, I discovered a fund that said it was splitting 10 to 1. And it had an informational window on, you know, on, on, the, on their page. Mm-hmm. So I opened that up, and they listed all the funds that would be doing this 10 to 1 split. And they, they had the dates and you know the, the, the figures. But one of the funds listed, Contra Fund, is a fund in my portfolio. And it's one of my good funds. So I was thinking this is really, you know, this is a good thing for me. So some of the overseas funds, I have two that aren't as good of performers. I thought, I always thought I should have them because you're supposed to be diversified, but I've been thinking about switching. So my question is, with a 10 to 1 split occurring in these other funds, what your opinion is on getting rid of, you know, switching one of my overseas funds to one of these funds? And um, I also was curious about the split. I've heard of individual stock splitting, but I've never heard of a, Mutual funds splitting. It's less common. Yeah, it's less common for mutual funds to split, but there's no economic implication for it, and it should not affect your decision-making for whether to own or not own a given investment. The reason why a a mutual fund company might want to do that is because if a fund share price has gone up to, let's say, $100, $150 a share, it's harder for a small investor to buy a share. So if they have $50 to invest every two weeks, they can't buy a share of something that's $150. So the fund companies can, on occasion, say, we're going to split up. So 
Uh, we, you know, there again, as Rick said, there's no economic impact to our current shareholders, but it does make it a little bit easier for a small investor to get a piece. Yeah, whether you own 10 shares at $10 each or 20 shares at $5 each, it's still 100 bucks. Right. So it really doesn't make any difference one way or the other. So it's an administrative function and not something that you should take into consideration when choosing an investment. Then one more question. Mm -hmm. um, if it's a good performer, which which my fund has been, and uh, it's more attractive for people to buy the shares and the, and the fund has always done well, it's, would it still possibly be a good fund to, to go into because of its, its record? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because there is a psychological side to stock splits or, in this case, fund splits. Wall Street loves to brag when a stock is engaging in a split. For some dumb reason, people seem to think that, wow, if it was $100 a share and they're going to do a two-for-one split, so it's now going to fall down to 50, some people won't notice that the drop from 100 to 50 was due to a split, and they figure, wow, the stock's really on sale, <laughs> and so let's buy it while it's cheap, not realizing that they're buying twice as many as they used right. to buy. And so, yeah, there's this weird psychological result that can sometimes occur, and Wall Street tends to regard splits as bullish, meaning good news. It's totally illogical, <laughs> makes no right. sense, but you're right. It does often result in an increase in the share price as investors desperately try to get the price back to where it used to be for some dumb reason. Uh, but again, long term, is it going to have an economic impact? We don't believe so. Okay. So I shouldn't let it influence my uh, switching one of my overseas funds to one of these funds, Correct. other funds. Okay. And that, that's a different question, though, I think. That really doesn't have anything to do with the, the splitting of one of your mutual funds. It sounds like you're Question number two is really, I've got some overseas funds I'm, I'm less than thrilled with, and what should I do? Correct. So let's talk about that. Okay. It, Isabel? So let's just talk about first, what is it about these overseas funds that you're unhappy with? What are you comparing them to when you're saying they're not doing well? Are you comparing them to your Contra fund, which is not an overseas fund? That's a U.S. equity-based fund. Exactly. Well, I have four funds. I picked them years ago, and I've never switched any of them. I put the exact same amount into each one of them for my paycheck. And in in my portfolio, they've lagged behind um, quite a bit. But, you know, the last few years, they've done a little bit better than they were. So I thought I should, you know, okay, well, we'll, we'll stay where we are. Oh, so you want to sell the ones that did worse than the other ones? Correct. In other words, you believe past performance predicts the future. Kind of. Sell low. <laughs> well, you know that that's not correct, right? I know. Okay. I know. So, well, if you I know it, then so why are you doing it? <laughs> this is exactly the point of diversification. Yeah. So, in other words, you should probably go in the other direction, that if you have an investment that has underperformed, that's probably an investment you need to buy more of, not own less of. Okay. Now, whether or not you really should do that isn't, you know, that's a whole other conversation. We would need to look... Uh, at detail with you as to exactly what those investments are, what your goals and objectives are, your attitude about risk, your need for liquidity, and so on, to really determine what is the best idea. The fact, um, Isabel, that Lorraine picked years ago four different mutual funds for her retirement account, invested in the four of them equally, 
I'm not convinced that that was the sagest investment strategy. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's just sort of arbitrarily saying, okay, I know I need to be diversified, so here I'm going to throw some spaghetti at the wall and hope that that's diversification. And yes, there's some degree of diversification in doing that, but it's not a strategic, well-thought-out, long-term strategy. Um, Especially since we're now basing changes on a couple of arbitrary, irrelevant statistics. One fund outperforming another, one fund having a uh, share split, and so on. So, Lorraine, I applaud you for paying as much attention to this as you are and trying as hard as you are to diversify effectively and contributing to your retirement. All that is fabulous, but you don't know what you don't know, and I think you're a great candidate for meeting with a financial advisor who can uh, take a closer look at what you're doing, not only with a retirement account at work, but also with savings outside of the retirement account. For example, one thing we didn't talk about is how much are you contributing to that retirement account? Are you maxing out your contributions? Well, I'm retired, so I'm not contributing anymore. And my my husband has been the primary, like he, he maxed everything out. We raised four children, and I put what I thought I could afford, and I, I pretty much paid all the bills. So I never really worried, you know, mm-hmm. he did all the the all the research and uh, got it he's probably better invested than me but my funds actually done very well you're right over the last 10 years everything has pretty much right. done pretty well yeah. so so all that's great so we don't mean to to convey it in any sense that you've been doing things incorrectly or or not well no, at all I uh, but I think it's a, a wonderful opportunity to maximize uh, and create genuine efficiency and effectiveness the fact that you're now retired is your husband also retired he is not. So we need to take best advantage of the resources available now because you're in your pre-retirement years between the two of you as a couple. And we need to make sure that we take best advantage of the opportunities you currently have. You're 57. You're, you know, your husband is similar aged, I'm assuming. 61. So we need to make sure that your 60s are everything that you need it to be. So I would encourage the two of you to meet with a financial advisor. If you don't have one in your area or you don't know where to turn, you're welcome to call us. The same number you dialed right here, 888 We do a lot of work with clients over the phone and through email. Um, probably thousands of our clients we've never actually physically met because right. of distances. Well, you know, we actually have been on your website, and uh, we noticed you don't have any offices in our area. Really yeah, you're, you're in upstate New York, right? Yes. Yeah, and so uh, we can certainly do this over the phone with you. Or th- there are talented advisors not far from you, I'm sure, and I would encourage you to talk with one or two, comparison shop like you would a washing machine or automobile uh, okay. until you find an advisor you're comfortable with. And you can error check what you're hearing from them, get second opinions by calling us, and we'll be able to do- be a sounding board so you can compare what they've said, share it with us, and we'll tell you what we think of the advice you're getting from others. Okay. So, Rain, we wish you the very best. Thank you. I appreciate your answers. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. That's Lorraine from Belfast, New York. I'm Rick Edelman. Are you sure you've got enough money for retirement? Well, let's make sure, okay? For a limited time, we're offering you a free retirement review. You can now find out if your investments will, in fact, be able to produce the income you'll need for your retirement. You'll receive a document from us showing you how long your money will last. By meeting with one of our experienced planners at Edelman Financial, you'll be able to share any other financial concerns you've got that could be preventing you from achieving your financial goals, and we'll show you if you'll be able to retire without living longer than your money. 
So come on in and meet with one of our colleagues at Edelman Financial and get your free retirement review. It's a limited offer. We're not sure how long we're going to keep offering this, so take advantage of it right now. You can register today at edelmanfinancial.com slash review or call us at 888-PLAN-RIP. Stay tuned for more of our questions right here on The Rick Edelman Show. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Providing personal finance advice for over 25 years. This is The Rick Edelman Show. This is The Rick Edelman Show. Now, here's Rick Edelman. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. Thanks for hanging around this half hour. Isabel Barrows with me in the studio. The Department of Labor's fiduciary rule is dead. As we've talked about a lot on this show, this is the rule that required that any advisors who are helping clients with retirement assets had to be acting in the client's best interest. Well, that rule is now gone, done with, and goodbye. And now some of the companies that had been planning to make changes to comply with this rule are now reviewing those changes they implemented to comply with the rule, such as J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley. Since the rule's dead, they figure they don't have to keep the changes they were making or had planned to make. So these were big brokerage firms that charged commissions when you buy investments in an IRA account. And they said, well, the new rule says we're not going to be able to charge commissions, so we're going to stop charging commissions. We're now going to charge fees. Yeah, just make it a flat fee and make it easier. And now that the rule's dead, eh, throw that out. they're going to go back to commissions. Right. And what they had said in the past was, we're going to go ahead and proactively make these changes. Well, now I guess they've changed their mind. J.P. Morgan wrote to his advisors last week, we've been working on changes to our product offering for retirement accounts. Morgan Stanley told a news outlet that the firm plans to review changes it had already uh, instituted to determine whether... An any adjustments are appropriate. It's also been reported that Morgan Stanley plans to reinstate the old advisor bonus plan that they had thrown out because the DOL said the bonuses would cause a clash with that fiduciary rule that it may not be that they could act in their client's best interest and still get the huge bonuses for sales awards. You see, this is the thing that drives me crazy is that, you know, if there's a rule, the firms will comply with the rule. And as soon as the rule goes away, they're back to their old behaviors. So here's a bonus plan, a way that they pay their advisors. The rule said this isn't allowed because it's a clear conflict with clients. So they got rid of the bonus plan. Mm -hmm. But as soon as the rule goes away, the bonus plan comes back. Yeah, it's absurd. And it just really is annoying. You know, Merrill Lynch was one of the first to come out with full-page newspaper ads when the DOL rule seemed to be taking effect, saying they're eliminating commissions because it's the right thing to do. They were running full-page ads, a big ad campaign, saying, yes, we champion the Department of Labor rule. We serve our clients. It's the right thing to do. Well, now that the rule is dead, Maryland's just told this week it's 14,000 advisors that it's planning to go back to charging commissions 
for its IRA accounts. You know, I mean, yeah, this is Merrill Lynch. You know, this is Mother Merrill, 14,000 brokers. Everybody knows Merrill Lynch. Just this week, the SEC has fined Merrill Lynch $42 million for lying to its customers about how it handled their orders. According to the SEC, Merrill falsely told customers that it had executed millions of orders internally when it actually had routed them for execution at other broker-dealers, including proprietary trading firms and wholesale market makers. Merrill called the practice masking. It involved having Merrill employees reprogram Merrill's own computers to falsely report execution venues, altering records and reports, and giving misleading responses when clients asked about it. Mm. By masking the orders, Merrill made itself appear to be a more active trading center and reduced its own costs without passing the costs apparently along to its customers. And even after Merrill stopped the practice, not only did it not inform its clients about its past practices, it took additional steps to hide the misconduct. The SEC says more than 15 million orders involving more than 5 billion shares were involved. And that was just this week. Earlier this year, the SEC fined Merrill one and a quarter million dollars for violations involving the sale of unregistered securities. Merrill also paid a $15 million fine to the SEC over charges that its traders illegally profited from excessive commissions on mortgage-backed securities. And that was this year. Last year, Merrill paid the SEC and FINRA a combined $26 million in fines over brokerage account transactions that were not properly policed for illicit activities. Even foreign government have nailed Merrill Lynch. In 2017, Great Britain fined Merrill Lynch $46 million for failing to report 69 million derivative trades over a two-year period. In 2016, the SEC fined Merrill $415 million for misusing customer cash to generate profits for the firm and failed to safeguard customer securities from the claims of its creditors. In 2002, I mean, this stuff is just, this is nothing keeps new. Keeps going, keeps going. Back in 2002, Merrill paid a $100 million fine for telling customers to buy the stocks of companies that were its own investment banking clients. Sheer conflict of interest. Now, do you think they're going to take out a full-page ad now to tout that they're going back to their old ways now that the fiduciary rule is done? So you just have to ask yourself, A, is this firm where my account is being held, is it acting in my best interest? That's the first question. And second, are they doing it because they genuinely feel this is the right thing to do? Or are they doing it only because there's a police officer over their shoulder threatening to hit them with massive fines if they fail to adhere to the rules? It just comes down to who is it you want to be managing your life savings? This is so obvious that even the Pope has weighed in. <laughs> so the Pope recently admonished advisors who are working against the best interests of their clients. He said, among the morally questionable activities of financial advisors in the management of savings, the following are to be taken into account. An excessive movement of the investment portfolio commonly aimed at increasing the revenues deriving from the commission for the bank or other financial intermediary. The Vatican also criticized advisors who failed to act as a fiduciary by not avoiding those conflicts of interest and by not working as prudent professionals. So even the Pope, with all of the issues facing this world, mm. is stopping to say the fiduciary standard right. matters right. for investors around the world. And he's over there in Rome. So, I mean, he's weighing in on what's happening here. Let's So let's we, can't, we, we can't talk about this without, of course, mentioning 
Wells Fargo. <laughs> Just uh, was reported in, uh, where was it? The Wall Street Journal? Yeah. Wells Fargo may combine its two wealth management divisions, its wealth brokerage services and its private client group. It's going to merge them into one division. Some of these folks work in brokerage offices and some of them work in the bank's retail branches. And Will says that these changes won't affect clients. Hmm. Well, then why are you doing it? Right. I mean, isn't the whole point to better the experience of the client? So, uh, you know. You know, it really makes you wonder if firms can change their stripes. You might recall years ago I complained about David Lerner and Associates for the fines that it incurred from the abusive sales practices of selling non-traded real estate investment trusts. David Lerner's been off the radar for several years. They're apparently no longer selling those products. But last year, a FINRA panel found that their chief compliance officer failed to disclose three tax liens on his public employment record, which is a violation of industry rules. He argued that he was advised by the IRS that the liens were against physical property, not against him personally, and that's why he didn't do it. And the arbitration panel said that uh, this doesn't make any sense. In fact, they said his contention is, quote, nonsensical for two key reasons. First, it's simply not plausible, they said, that a chief compliance officer with over 40 years of compliance experience in the securities industry would not know or understand what a lien is and whether it needs to be disclosed. Second, a lien can only apply to property. It cannot apply to or attach to a person, making his justifications for not disclosing it illogical. <laughs> My house didn't pay its bill. <laughs> so, so, you know, here you've got David Lerner and Associates chief compliance officer apparently lying on his public disclosure document. You just have to wonder if horses are capable of changing their stripes, which they can't because, you know, horses don't have stripes. What it comes down to is you've got a decision to make. You have a choice available to you. And that is who is it you're relying on for the management of your life savings in an effort to achieve your family's financial objectives. It's really that simple. It's not hard. We invite you to allow us to assist you and your family. Call us at 888-PLAN-REC. That's 888-752-6742. You can visit us online as well at rickedelman.com, learn all about our firm, and if you want to chat with us, we make it really easy for you to do so. Just click that red button at the top of the page called Schedule a Call. We'll avoid phone tag for you. No voicemail. You instead simply tell us when you want us to call you. Tell us the date and time, and we'll make it simple and easy for you to get the answers that you need to all of your personal finance questions. 888-PLAN-RIC or online at ricestellman.com. by Talkers Magazine as one of the heavy hundred talk show hosts in America. This is The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. Isabel Barrows in the studio with me. We talk often here on The Rick Edelman Show about retirement security. I think it's the number one financial planning issue of most American consumers these days. So I thought it would be fun to have a conversation with Jamie Hopkins. He's professor of retirement planning at the American College 
and co-director of the New York Life Center for Retirement Income. Jamie was selected by Investment News as one of the top 40 financial service professionals under the age of 40. He was also selected by the American Bar Association as one of the top 40 young attorneys in the country. Jamie, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you for having me on today. Jamie recently wrote the book Rewirement, Rewiring the Way You Think About Retirement. Jamie, explain to me what rewirement's all about and why we need to change our views of retirement. Yeah, and so rewirement really came out of the research that I've done in the literacy realm. And I did a retirement income literacy study that's been going on for a number of years, but started that back in 2014. And kind of what we found is only about a quarter of those uh, Americans right around retirement or right in retirement could pass a basic retirement income literacy quiz. And that just kind of sparked to me this idea that, you know, while a lot of those individuals were doing well with their regular finances, they had saved some money, they really didn't know how to approach retirement yet. And it was a lot of behavioral things, a lot of attitudinal things, a lot of misconceptions that I really thought were holding people back. Give me an idea of one of the misconceptions people have about retirement. Yeah, so there's a couple of them, but one of them, uh, the big one is what we would call our sequence of returns risk or average returns, that a lot of individuals thought if they averaged 8% returns for retirement, it meant they could withdraw 8% from their portfolio <laughs> every year and not spend anything down. And, and that was still the majority wow. of the respondents were in there. And, and that's something that, that has improved over time, obviously, but still that's a huge misconception out there. And for two huge reasons. Number one, you're not going to earn an 8% return <laughs> every year throughout your retirement, number one. What a crazy assumption that is. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is people look back and maybe they were in an index fund that has averaged eight, right? And they look back, they say, oh, I averaged eight. So that's what we'll do in retirement too. And, and that's, you know, as you said, we're not going to get that every year. We're going to have down years and, you know, we're going to have a big down year during your retirement. And you're going to have to have a plan in place that manages your income for those drops in the market. And, and the second related misconception, as you're describing it, is that people assume that their goal is to never spend down their principal. Yeah, and, and that's a tough one, and I think that kind of goes to two pieces, right? I think there's some misconceptions there, but I also think there's just some behavioral biases there, right, that, that loss aversion. People don't want to spend down their assets, but as soon as you sh can show them, right, a plan that's more sustainable, right, by spending down assets, that provides a better level of income, a better lifestyle, you can get people on board with that, but a lot of people start with that kind of safety, loss aversion, hesitancy. Yeah, it's almost the 11th commandment, thou shalt not spend principal. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what drove people right to the living off interest, living off CDs and bonds, which is uh, very hard to do today. It was easy back in the 1970s and 80s when bank CDs were paying 10 or 12 percent, uh, but today they're paying zero point nothing. And so it's much harder to generate an income stream off of you know today's very low interest rates. Yeah, and that's, you know, you just can't really do that today, right? When we look at that, what bonds and CDs and kind of safe assets are paying today uh, in the kind of the traditional sense, you can't generate enough income to live off that. At least most people can't. So they really do have to take more of a holistic view of the retirement income plan. So what are all of the assets that are available to meet their needs? And how can we really get the best lifestyle and the most security that we can? And that's not just being in the safest assets. We actually do have to take some reasonable risk in the sense of being in the market. But in my sense, I would say that's less risky because we end up with a better outcome. <laughs> in other words, you know, I, I love George Patton's quote, you know, 
There's nothing wrong with taking risk, he said. That's quite different from being rash. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, you know, understanding what you're doing, why you're doing it, and kind of the general outcomes that can occur, right? And so once you have some knowledge about something and you have a plan in place, right, being rash is, you know, kind of going into uninformed decision-making as opposed to making reasonable decisions after taking some of the, you know, knowledge and, you know, information into account. So we've got two basic misconceptions a lot of retirees and pre-retirees have. Number one, that they're going to earn ridiculously high rates of return that in reality they're probably not going to achieve. And second, that they probably are going to have to spend down some of their money over the course of their retirement years. And both of those are okay. Assume you'll earn a little bit lower of a return and assume you'll spend down some of your principal as you age. Both of those, you're arguing, that's okay. That's not the end of the world. Yeah, and I'll actually, you know, I take that a little bit further sometimes, too, and, and kind of one of the assets, as we said, that people really never want to spend down, they never want to touch, uh, is kind of their home. And that's another big kind of misconception we saw is you do need to consider your home equity as part of your plan. Now, that means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. We, we obviously still need a place to live, so we have to protect, right, a place to live. You know, what it does mean is we need to include that asset into our planning, and sometimes it'll actually be spending some of our home equity. We've got, in many cases, people owning homes that are worth more than any other financial asset they've got. And in many cases, that house is fully paid for. And to ignore the value of that asset as a potential resource to generate additional income, that's just foolish in many cases. The last U.S. Census uh, report, right, said the average kind of median 65-year-old couple, two-thirds of their wealth was found in their home, right? It's just too big to be ignored. Now, that doesn't mean that there's a single right solution for every individual, right? We get back to individualized planning, but we have to get this mindset of including the house and that home equity into the plan. And some of that includes things that people don't always want to talk about, right, that you are borrowing in a lot of situations or you're downsizing and you're relocating. And that can be a tough emotional decision either way. We're borrowing from our house or moving. Absolutely right. It's because, you know, selling a mutual fund doesn't have the emotional attachment of selling a house. Uh, And so clearly there are lifestyle issues, there are behavioral issues, there are family issues that we need to take into consideration. But you're absolutely right. When you've got an asset that is so dominant in your total net worth, it's foolish and, frankly, irresponsible to not consider it as part of your overall personal financial planning. As you know, Jamie, we've been very strong advocates for decades about the notion of carrying a big mortgage on a house because what we often discover is that if you own the home outright and then reach retirement, your options are very limited because your income may be fixed or or reduced and your ability to borrow against the house may be restricted and you're forced into either a reverse mortgage or selling the house when you might not want to do either one of those. When if you walk into retirement with already a mortgage loan, that means you've got the money in your hip pocket already, and that increases your flexibility, giving you options you might otherwise not have. Yeah, and so, you know, those are, you know, very viable strategies. It's not just, you know, trying to, you know, as we said, not spend down anything and, and accumulate the largest dollar amount possible. It's how do we protect your lifestyle? How do we protect your income in retirement? And using the house in a strategic way can be part of that. We're talking with Jamie Hopkins. He's professor of retirement planning at the American College. The American College is one of our partners with the Bipartisan Policy Center. 
in our coalition, FundingOurFuture.us, our effort to try to increase awareness among consumers about the dire state of the Social Security system and the importance that it plays in retirement as well. So, Jimmy, I'm really pleased with the work that you're doing and your efforts at uh, educating consumers with financial literacy uh, and your new book, uh, Rewirement, Rewiring the Way You Think About Retirement. Jamie, thanks so much for joining us on the program today. Yep. Thank you so much for having me on and for all the great work you're doing. You can find out more about what we're doing at FundingOurFuture.us. It's really very simple. We want to accomplish three things for all Americans. Number one, make it easier to save. Number two, provide you with income you can't outlive. And number three, save our Social Security system, what I'm calling Social Security SOS. You'll find my solution for the Social Security crisis, what I call the Trust Fund for America, that's a really nifty acronym, Trust Fund, Tomorrow's Retirement for the U.S. Today. And you'll find lots of other proposals available at our website, fundingourfuture.us. Check it out and sign up so we can stay in touch with you about the proposals we're working on to improve retirement security for all Americans. Stay with us for more. Your question's coming up next here on The Rick Edelman Show. information on what you need to do now go to rickedelman.com that's rickedelman.com judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy the Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're taking telephone calls here on the Rick Edelman Show, 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. That's the number Isa Kyle dialed up from Lomita, California, here in the studio with Isabel Barrow. We're taking his telephone call. Hi, Isa Kyle. How are you? Um, yes. Uh, my friend Sue, um, her, uh, her mother uh, started needing assistance all the time, so we moved her into a assisted living um, retirement center, yeah, and then we sold her house. And uh, mom has done okay for about a, a year, uh, but then and all of that money that came from the house, um, some, somewhere around 300k, went into a an account that she, her daughter created, um, Sue's daughter, um, and put it into an account, and it's been s- sitting in there for about a year. There was another uh, amount of money that was put in a different account that was used to, to uh, pay for mom's care. Um, uh, mom passed away on Mother's Day. Mm. She was sick in the hospital for a while. Oh my. And uh, has she, has Sue created a tax problem for her uh, daughter because of that that money that was put in in, in her daughter's name? And um, Sue has uh, three brothers and sisters, and uh, or no four. So all all of that money that was left in and Sue's daughter's account was split up among uh, five people. Is that right? 
five, four people. Um, and and the, then there was a little bit of money that was left in the other account that was used to pay for mom's um, care. And with that money being split up, and the money that was originally the larger amount that was sitting in her daughter's, uh, Sue's daughter's uh, account, what what kind of tax liability could come after us because of that? The two primary issues that we have are related to the titling of this money and the transference of this money. So you said the home was sold and the proceeds of the home sale were put into what sounds like the granddaughter's name. Is that correct? Right. right. Okay. So then the granddaughter is now the owner and has been given a gift by the grandmother, who was the owner of the home, of this $300,000. So that's problem number one, is how was that recorded? Was that recorded as a gift? And if so, you know, you need to make sure all the records are there. And now that the grandmother has passed away, the granddaughter has this account that's in her name and really up to her to do with whatever she wants. Yeah, the short answer is there are no tax problems here uh, because the grandmother is allowed to give away $5 million to anybody she wants over the course of her lifetime without any taxes. So this three hundred grand counts toward that. So there's no gift tax, there's no inheritance tax, there's no estate tax associated with that. Uh, there's paperwork that has to be filed. I'm willing to bet it wasn't, but get with an accountant and get it done. Uh, form seven. Oh, so it can it, it could even be um, uh, the paperwork can be done after the fact after the money has already been distributed. Right. Yes, I mean you file amended returns for the prior years when this all occurred. I mean you're doing it wrong, oh. but it can be rectified. Go to a good accountant, a CPA, or enrolled agent or tax attorney to get it done. And there should not be a tax liability associated with this. The bigger issue is that your the grandmother has perhaps accidentally, inadvertently, disinherited four people because she gave all the money to the one granddaughter who is now the sole owner of that asset, and she gets the full inheritance. Nobody else got anything. I don't know if that was the grandmother's intent, but that's what happened. No, it was actually... Uh my friend Sue, the daughter of, of mom, that, that uh, because of fighting within the family, she, she was the power of attorney. She was in, she was in charge of everything uh, uh, with her mother. And so all was there undue influence here, perhaps, where the, due to family infighting that one of the members of the family had a power of attorney and arranged for the sale of the house and the receipt of the money? Uh, Going to her daughter and no one else. So it could very well be more infighting to come, resulting in lawsuits, uh, failure to abide by fiduciary obligations for the caretaking of the money. If there was a will involved, was the asset distributed in accordance with the will? So the the bottom line is, now that um, she has passed, the asset is in the name of the one individual, as you described, And that's the way it shall remain unless a court overturns that or unless... Well, yeah, the the money has already been split up among all the siblings. Oh, so she's already distributed it. So she's she's then, in essence, from uh, the perspective of the IRS, given a gift of her money that she inherited 
to her aunts and uncles. Uh, now, again, as Rick stated before, there's not really a tax issue there because of the amount of money you're allowed to gift is much larger than 300000 But it's a matter of recording that properly, which is a form IRS 709. And that needs right. to be done, uh, you know, and that needs to be that needs to be cleared up uh, so that you don't have any potential legal issues going forward. Yeah. So was there a lawyer anywhere involved in any of this? No, and see that was the problem. Is is Sue, the 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 one uh, child of of mom that was in charge of dealing with all of her finances and everything. She was n- not getting any real answers as to what happened. And then after uh, mom passed away and all the money was was split up among all the children, um, uh, you know, we were not getting any answers as to. Uh, whether or not that was going to be a tax issue. Okay, so let's for let's make this simple. Suit. Let's make this real simple. Uh, there is no tax due by the recipient of a gift. So if the other siblings okay. got money, there is no tax reporting of any kind required. No tax owed of any kind. There is tax reporting required by the person who gave the money, which in this case would be that one individual. So that person needs to get good tax advice, and I would encourage you to tell that person to go hire a CPA, enrolled agent, or tax attorney to help them make sure that they're preparing their tax returns correctly. But that's the only one that has a tax issue going on here. Right. Okay. So we need to get with uh, Sue's daughter and make sure that she does the the, – Yes. Correct. Paperwork. And nobody cares. Nobody has a problem except Sue's daughter. Assuming everybody okay. else is satisfied with the share they got. Right. If everybody else is satisfied, then Sue's daughter is the only one with a paperwork problem. And it's an easily right. fixed one. Okay. All right. So we, and, and, and the fact that it can be dealt with after the fact that the money has already been distributed, that, that's, that's good to know. Um, it, it, yes, that, that's, that's great. So thank you so much for your, uh, your time and, uh, and for the good information. You're, we'll, get, we'll get right on it. You're very welcome. I'm glad it's working out uh, as well as possible to, uh, for you and the family. You know, it always drives me nuts when someone says, I just jumped into the water. Should I have done that? Right. I know. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is such a complicated thing, especially because – um, in many cases, with someone as they're getting older and they're needing long-term care, there's always a chance that they may need Medicaid to, to kick in to start helping if they don't have enough money to pay. And then it becomes really complicated because if you have a piece of property, well, is somebody else living there and then the property gets sold? Well, Medicaid may want a piece back if they you know, put some money in the pot to pay for your long-term care. This stuff gets really, really complicated, and you should not be going this alone. You should not be guessing and jumping in the water and asking later if I can swim. Yeah, so if you're facing family dynamics such as this, it's best to get legal tax financial advice before actions are taken because it's a whole lot easier to prevent than it is to cure. Um, So uh, I'm glad it's worked out relatively well for Ezekiel's family and um, hopefully others will be able to avoid that problem themselves. I'm Rick Edelman with Isabel Barrow. You're listening to The Truth About Money. It's The Rick Edelman Show. Triple Eight Plan Rick. You're probably trying to figure out what your retirement is going to look like in the future, how to make sure that you're heading in the right direction. So we've got a terrific opportunity for you. It's our seminar called Road Trip, Successfully Navigating Your Journey to Retirement. 
We're presenting the seminar all across the country this month, and it's an opportunity for you to learn how to handle the roadblocks and detours you know you're going to encounter on your journey both to and through retirement. You'll see why you can expect to live a whole lot longer than you ever thought and how exponential technologies are impacting careers and even how you need to invest for retirement. We're winding down this schedule for this seminar, so take advantage of it while you can. You can learn the locations and the dates and times at our website. Just go to rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Click on the Seminars button, and if you prefer, call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. It's $15 a person, 25 a couple, a fast 90 minutes. You'll really enjoy it, and I think you'll learn a whole lot as well. Again, that's our seminar, Successfully Navigating Your Journey to Retirement, and you can learn about it at rickedelman.com. I'm Rick Edelman with Isabel Barrow, Triple H Plan Rick, online at ricedelman.com. doesn't come with instructions more of your questions coming up on the rick edelman show you're listening to the rick edelman show you know if you want to talk to us we're making it really easy for you to do that just go to our website at rickedelman.com and click on that red button schedule a call you'll enter the day and the time that you want us to call you so you don't have to worry about phone tag you're welcome to call us at triple eight plan rick of course but you don't have to you can just go to rickedelman.com and at the top uh, right corner of the main page is schedule a call and we'll call you when you want us to, when it's convenient for you. We make it really simple and easy so you can get all your personal finance questions answered by our financial advisors at Edelman Financial. So go to rickedelman.com and schedule a call. We're heading uh, to Mendham, New Jersey to talk with Tara. Welcome, Tara. You're on the air. Hi, Rick. You're very welcome to be on the show. Isabel Barrows with us in the studio. How can we help? Um. I know my mom's a client, but, uh, you know, I look at a lot of stuff, and uh, it's June, and I see a lot of people on Facebook, um, college parent accounts, and all these parents with their kids going to out-of-state schools with a huge tuition, 50000 or more, they are all seeming to think plan A, their kids can get loan forgiveness jobs as teachers, doctors, government, nonprofit, and that's going to be it. And I'm just kind of wary of that strategy. I, I'm, what if the kid changes his major? What's the opportunity cost? Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it would be considered cancellation uh, of debt for federal tax purposes, you know, income attributable to this poor student that is making now maybe $50,000 because they're not making, you know, private sector money. So that's something like that. So you mentioned your mom's a client. Uh, how old are you? I am 54. Do you have children headed to college yourself? Are you dealing with I this? I do have children uh, in college, and I am just crossing my lucky stars, fingers that we did a 529, and even when it was really hard to put 50 bucks away, 
you know, once a month over the 30 years. It was just painless, and it's not going to cover everything, Yeah, but it will definitely cover a big portion of it. Yeah, so Tara's really a great observer of what's going on in the marketplace right now. Absolutely. And I think her observations are right on the money in terms of the mistakes that many parents are making when it comes to their kids' college costs and career expectations. Yeah, that's not a strategy. So she said she's wary of that strategy. That's not a strategy. That's just like crossing your fingers and hoping that, you know... Hope is not a strategy. Uh, Right, exactly. So there are student loan forgiveness programs out there. You're lucky to get one, um, but they do exist for certain types of categories of employees. But there's a lot of... This a lot assuming, of red tape you've got to jump through. And it's assuming that the child is in a field of study for which these programs are available, that the child, in fact, graduates and, in fact, applies and lives in a region where these jobs are available. And as Tara rightly points out, I mean, I'll put some statistics to the concepts that Tara raised. One-third of college freshmen drop out. Right. Fifty Only 50% graduate after six years. So if you spend thirty grand a year sending your kid to college and that kid drops out after their freshman year that's 30 grand you'll never see again if the kid drops out as a junior or even as a senior you're talking in many cases over a hundred thousand dollars and you have nothing to show for and it. and there's no forgiveness for that exactly right you still owe the debt right. uh, and then you have to assume the kid is going to go into one of those programs where there is tuition forgiveness that doesn't affect room and board that's not forgiven Mm -hmm. and because there is tuition forgiveness as tara points out many of these jobs pay less than other jobs in the private sector so now the child although they don't have to pay a tuition bill back they are suffering from a relatively low salary which has an impact on their ability to pay for rent or a mortgage or a car or other aspects of life save for retirement exactly right so i think terry you're absolutely correct too often Parents and consequently their uh, college-age children are looking at college all wrong. They aren't looking at it realistically from a financial perspective. They have idealistic views. We haven't even talked about those who claim they're going to win athletic or academic scholarships, which is a fraction of the number who think they're going to get them. (laughs) So all of this translates into a really bad financial planning perspective where we're having kids graduate or leave school one way or the other in their early 20s, saddled with massive amounts of debt, maybe, maybe not fully prepared for careers of the future as they exist, having studied in fields where the jobs just simply aren't there. Uh, And it's because of a myopic, inaccurate, rose-colored glass scenario that just isn't terribly realistic. So I think you're absolutely right, Tara. I'm glad you recognize it. I'm glad you're steering your children correctly accordingly. And the more we can get the word out about this, the better off I think everyone will be. All right. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. You know, I have two chapters devoted to this subject in my book, The Truth About Your Future. The college scenario is really a challenge these days, and it's because parents are looking at college the way they used to look at it, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. 17-year-olds have no concept of the financial implications that they're making when they talk about the college they want to attend or the major they want to uh, focus on. And we need to really rethink our notions of higher education or you're going to get a real education. Absolutely. And Tara made a really great point, though, that her... When she was saving in the 529, 
it wasn't hard. It wasn't painful because she saved a little bit on a regular basis over a long period of time. And it was a lot easier to swallow that than it is paying back, you know, sixty, eighty thousand $80,000 of loans when you're 22 years old and you got your first job. You know, it's really fascinating you talk about that. You know, in both scenarios, theoretically, we're talking about an 18 or 20 year period of time. You start when the baby is born mm -hmm. and you save for 18 years, 20 years into their college career, or you don't save and the child graduating college will then have 20 years of student loan debt repayments. If you do it the first way, compound growth works to your advantage because every dollar you save earns interest over decades. If you wait to amass the debt in college, compound growth works against you <laughs> right, because now you're, you're paying the interest right. that is accruing as a result of that loan. So you could you, either way, you're going to incur 20 years of expenses. Mm -hmm. Now you can either do it in advance and benefit from compounding, mm -hmm. or you can delay, defer, procrastinate, and suffer the consequences of being penalized by compounding. Exactly. The choice is yours. Tara, thanks so much for raising the issue with us and allowing us to uh, bring it to everybody's attention once again. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money as brought to you by Tara of New Jersey. So, you know, it's fascinating to me as we're trying to deal with changing economic circumstances, how the rules of money are continually changing. Um, that was one of the titles of either the, my second book, The New Rules of Money that the way we think how money works is not necessarily how it works today, just because it's how it worked in the past. So I want to segue from college into retirement. Are you sure you're going to have enough money to retire? How do you know? Well, we now are offering you a free opportunity to get the answer. It's a limited time offer. It's called our free retirement review. I'm not sure how much longer we're going to be offering this. So it's an opportunity for you to find out if your investments will produce the income you'll need for your retirement. You'll receive a document showing you how long your money will last. You'll meet with one of our colleagues at Edelman Financial Services, an experienced financial planner. You can share any of your financial concerns that might prevent you from achieving your retirement goals. To see if you're able to retire so that you don't outlast your money, come on in and meet with one of our colleagues and get your free retirement review. You can register today for it. It's real simple and easy. You have two ways to do it. First, go to our website. Go to edelmanfinancial.com. Not rickedelman.com. Go to edelmanfinancial.com slash review. And you can provide us your name and uh, phone number. And we'll call you to schedule the appointment, simple and easy. Or just call us at 888-PLAN-REC. That's 888-752-6742. And get your free retirement review. That's it for this week. Isabel, thank you so much for joining me on the program today. Fun as always, Rick. And we'll be back again with you next week for another edition of The Rick Edelman Show. You're listening to The Truth About Money. Remember, if you love the show, tell a friend. If you hate the show, tell an enemy. See you next week. The truth about money every weekend on The Rick Edelman Show. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.